0: of the University of Washington's Thrivecast, the podcast designed to help School of Medicine faculty thrive. I'm Trish Critic, and today we have a special guest. I'm joined by Lisa DeMoore, our first guest from outside the University of Washington. Lisa is a national expert on child and adolescent development. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a regular contributor to CBS News, and she writes a monthly adolescence column for the New York Times. But most importantly, she was my roommate in college. So I persuaded her to come here and join us for a conversation today. And I'm really grateful for her taking, uh, up, take me, taking me up on that offer. Lisa, I Fresh. thought that we could talk about what I think is something that's causing lots of folks in our community anxiety, which is the supposed kind of coming back to normal. And for a lot of us, who do clinical work, we've been doing clinical work, and yet that clinical work is gonna evolve. For many of us who do research, it's been not normal research. And for all of us, our lives outside of the hospital or the clinic or the lab or the classroom have been not normal. And so I thought I'd use this podcast to talk about those feelings and how we might navigate those feelings. I'll add that I'm gonna ask you later about our kids, because Mm -hmm. I know that's your you know, real wheelhouse. But I think you can talk about all that with me. So let's start off by talking about kind of the feelings people have as people keep saying, we're coming back to normal uh, in the next week's months.
1: Um, Absolutely. And Trish, thank you so much for having me on. It's really fun to be with you in this way. Um, Okay, so there are some things from the academic and clinical psychology side that can be helpful here. One is to understand that change equals stress. Anytime things are changing, we experience that as stressful, even when they're changing in the right direction. You know, maybe there's a sense of being able to return to um, more familiar rhythms or patterns. Well, it's a change from this extremely long pandemic that we really had adapted to. So even if it's wanted, that doesn't mean it's going to be stressless to integrate these changes. The other thing which is very much at play is uncertainty is stressful. And one of the things that I am hearing and I'm sure you're hearing is where we've talked about returning to a new normal, but it feels like it still remains pretty uncertain what that normal is going to look like. And I think we had all felt really hopeful that by now there would be more clarity and more confidence in um, what we were returning to, and I think there's a sense that that has become more vague, actually, in recent weeks. And uncertainty is stressful. So to the degree that people feel stressed, and then we can come back to anxiety, they're having the right reaction. There's nothing wrong with the experience of feeling stressed right now. In fact, it would be kind of strange if people were feeling totally at ease with um, a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty,
0: yeah, I for sure I I think I hear that exact sense from folks, and I think it's a cumulative thing where we've had uncertainty and change continuously for the better part of a year and a half. So it's also fatigue with that anxiety and change and. I think that cumulative effect is part of what we're also uh, feeling right now. So I'm curious if
1: you- Worn down, just worn down by this.
0: Yeah, I think we definitely feel more and more of a sense in our community of like, I can't take one more thing. And even kind of going back to normal feels like one more thing as you just alluded to. So do you have some guidance on kind of navigating
1: that time, these times um, for folks? So what we're talking about are a whole lot of very uncomfortable emotions. We are wiped out, we are stressed, we are anxious, we are uncertain. And um, and like you say, in in a very long trajectory of a lot of uncomfortable emotions, we're not coming to this next phase fresh by any measure. What it brings us into is the world of how we cope with unpleasant emotions and There are ways to approach this that can give us some footholds. So the first thing we can do is to recognize that uncomfortable emotions are not in and of themselves harmful or grounds for concern. And the reason I say this is that there has been a shift in the discourse around negative emotions, and I would say I could pin it back to the 1980s, where there started to be this sense that You're really supposed to feel good. And if you don't feel good, something might be really wrong. That's not true. Negative emotions are part of life. Unfortunately, they have been too much a part of life of late. Like the balance has been all out of whack. Mm -hmm. But the reality is to feel stressed and frustrated and um, anxious and maybe even at times despairing is part of what it means to be a human being. No one needs to worry that those feelings in and of themselves are a sign that there's something wrong with them, or they're broken, or there's a diagnosis afoot. You know, sometimes things do get to a place where clinical intervention makes good, good sense, but those are just part of being human. And I just wanna say that because I don't want people to think they're not supposed to have these feelings and then to become stressed about being stressed or anxious about being anxious. These are the right feelings at the right time. That's actually evidence of mental health. So that's the first one. Got it, so it's
0: actually normal and okay to be feeling yeah. this way right now, and a lot of us are.
1: It means you work, it means you work right. Okay, so now we all feel crummy, and we accept that we feel crummy and that this is part of being human, but we don't wanna feel this crummy all the time. So, so what do we do? So there are things that we know help to ease emotional pain. One thing, and this is so low tech, is talking about what we're feeling right? Getting with a friend and saying, I'm pretty freaked out about the fall, or this is incredibly hard, or I feel really cooked, or I don't feel like I can take one more thing, right? Having that conversation amazingly provides relief. It doesn't fix it, it doesn't change it, it doesn't bring some magical solution, and yet it provides relief. And, and that's something we shouldn't blow past that as a solution here or as a partial solution.
0: Yeah. And I think we all have access to somebody that we could talk to about it and probably who could empathize with our feelings.
1: Absolutely. I think in some ways, the biggest challenge right now is that everybody's in it. You know, I mean, so often Mm -hmm. when we're suffering under normal conditions, we're having a hard time, but our best friend isn't in the same position, you know, and so we can lean on them. What we're up against right now, a little bit is everybody's like, you said it, I'm right there with you. But even still, There is often relief to be found just in the sharing, in the verbalization, in the sense of this stinks, but I'm not alone in what stinks. Mm -hmm. And the isolation can be um, set to the side and we can be together. Then we get into questions of just straight up coping. Like how do we tend to our emotional health? And I think about your community and medicine And we have such good, well-established models when we think about physical health that there's basic things you do to keep your body healthy, right? You eat well, you exercise, you get enough rest, things like that. They're just done because they're the right thing to do and if you don't do them, you descend into ill health. We should think about emotional health in similar ways, that there are basic measures we take that are just good housekeeping of our emotional health. So it's things like having happy distractions, joyful, things that we can lose ourselves in that um, let us take a break from worrying about pandemic numbers. Just check out a little bit. Um, We need it mentally, we actually need it physically, right? Just in terms of reducing the stress response. So what's your favorite book? What's your favorite TV show? You know, do you like to get lost in nature? Can you disconnect and give yourself a time out just to um, enjoy something fully? That's an important part of emotional housekeeping. Another thing that really matters is doing work you find meaningful having a sense of purpose Um, This is you know, of course in your community. The work is so meaningful. The work is so essential that um, It's a value to be able to derive a sense of purpose and meaning from what one shows up to do every day and Then the last I mean there's a long list of housekeeping and then I'll talk about what we don't do is our good relationships right having people in our lives where we feel connected and accepted. And um, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. What we know on social relationships is quality beats quantity, but you need somebody. Everybody needs somebody. And so what I would say to people is you're having the right reaction if you're finding this to be a very hard time. So who's with you and around you? How do you find a break and some relief? And how do you um, find meaning? and purpose in this time, those things will help. None of it makes it go away. None of it makes it all right, but it can take some of the intensity down in a very hard time.
0: I think that's helpful. And I think it's things we've talked about a lot during this time at various points, and it's good to kind of come back to those things. Um, And maybe there's opportunities to kind of broaden those relationships a little bit more because our bubbles aren't quite as small as they were before, which is maybe an advantage. I think people are seeing folks they haven't seen in a while a little bit more often now. So that's a plus. Um, and I think uh, finding those happy distractions is a great thing to just keep reminding people to do all the time. By the way, I just watched uh, Mayor of Easttown. I strongly recommend it. It was outstanding. So if you need a TV show, I'm going to give you that one.
1: If it's, it's good,
0: it's a little dark. If you like
1: it lighter, head lasso oh my gosh so good i know season two Um, we could go on we could go on but but actually actually. these are important these are the ways that we maintain mental health okay here's what i don't want people doing because there are other forms of coping that do provide emotional relief but cause trouble so it's things like emotional withdrawal cutting people off because they're bothering you you know and yes people can be bothersome but if you need relationships you need working relationships and either cutting people off or being cranky with them is a way to get relief won't work over time. It also can be things like what I would call junk habits. So not getting off the couch, only eating comfort foods, um, you know, taking a phone to bed and scrolling and scrolling instead of falling asleep at night. You know that again, you get some relief in the short term, but if that becomes habitual, it turns into a problem of its own. And then the one we really worry about actually is substance misuse. That when people start to feel really crummy and they feel helpless, understandably, they can turn to drinking or using, and it works. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, in the short term, it's a very effective way to moderate distress. It causes tremendous trouble down the line if it becomes a habitual way of managing. So we want to just think about coping, that there's positive coping and negative coping. We're all going to need to keep coping a while longer.
0: Yeah, I think that that's the challenges. I think we thought we were going to be through it, and it doesn't feel like it. And we said all these things March 2020, And it feels rough to be saying them in July 2021. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. The other thing that I'm hearing people be frustrated about is like this return to the way it was before. And there are parts of things that have happened over the last year and a half that people feel are positive or are good changes. Or maybe there's things in the past that weren't perfect. And so returning back to something that didn't feel great before feels a little bit disconcerting as well. So I know it's a little different. But I wonder if you have advice for folks as they're kind of trying to navigate that space of maybe I don't want to return to normal.
1: I do wonder, I think about this a lot, like, should we all be taking sort of a pandemic inventory of our lives? You know, what what, what aspects of the pandemic can we just not wait to see in the rear view mirror? And what aspects of the pandemic might we want to hold on to or have changed our habits or changed how we go about things? Trish, I developed a habit that I am thrilled about, which is a complete fascination with all kinds of tea. I have this extremely elaborate tea drawer and it gets me through the day. This was came up in the pandemic. This will be a part of my life. I mean, that's a small and you know kind of silly example, but there are things that we have done differently that we want to keep. Mm-hmm. So I do encourage people to think in those ways. Now, of course, many of us are members of organizations, you're, you're, you're a very large organization. And anytime we're dealing with organizations, we're dealing with negotiations, right? What might work well for one person may not work well for the organization. And so then there has to be some um, coming to terms. But at the personal level, I do think a lot of people have found unexpected benefits in this, unexpected joys in this, a slowing down, a connecting, um, a comfort in being at home. And, and I hope people take stock of that and do what they can to maintain that. I just realized this is the smallest thing, but one thing that pandemic spared me is fourth grade recorders. So I have, my younger daughter just finished the fourth grade and usually the fourth grade, they give them a recorder. I hate the recorder. And I was like, we totally (laughs) skipped the recorder. She's going straight to trombone next year. And I thought, I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah, I think it's nice to
0: celebrate those small wins. And I also, I think all of us, if we pause and think about what habits we might've changed or modified, mine is being outside every day for at least you know 45 minutes. I've been religious about it, which I think has made me stay sane. And um, I'm not going to give that up. I think it's really important. So I I like that. I also like the the acknowledgement that it's a negotiation when it's about your job. And I think it's okay to have those conversations. I think we want people to have those conversations at work. Um, Even though it might not be as easy as saying, this is what I want, having the conversation and sorting through that in a relationship-focused way with your supervisor or other folks I think is important. Okay. Um, I realize I only have so much time with you. And I would be totally remiss if I didn't ask you about helping our folks who are listening navigate the waters with their kids. Because in Seattle, the public schools were virtual almost all of last year. They went back. Some of them went back in some spaces. Other people had go to private schools. They were mixed. But September seems like people are saying, okay, it's back to normal in school. And I think that's causing a fair amount of anxiety um, and uh, and worry. So I wonder if you have advice for the parents who are listening about navigating that with their kids come September.
1: Absolutely. Um, so kids have a lot of big feelings about the fall. And we have to remember, kids always have big feelings about the fall under normal conditions like the transition back to the school year is always a time where again change equals stress they feel stressed and then now we have taken that entire thing and put it on steroids right they have much more to be stressed about and also more to be excited about there's a lot of kids who are just really excited to be back in the building mm-hmm. with their friends but the stresses are many you know they're stressed about where they stand academically they're stressed about getting back into the regular routines they a lot of them if you had to ask them their number one worry it's where they stand socially. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty about how they fit back in with um, the kids in their class and, and the people they used to be friends with or maybe aren't friends with anymore. And so um, they're worried. Kids are worried. Kids are feeling this. So what I want parents to have as their mindset, as this, um, you know, bumper crop of feeling starts to come their way, whether the kids express them or parents can sense them is what the real definition of mental health is. You know, what the real definition is. So mental health, and this, you know, is to pick up on something I said earlier, it's not that your kid's feeling comfortable. It's not that your kid is easygoing and happy about this. Mental health is a two-part definition in my book. It's that they're having the right feeling at the right time, and that they have adaptive ways to manage those emotions. So if your kid is feeling stressed, anxious, nervous, worried, That's evidence of mental health. (laughs) They're having the right feeling at the right time. Where it really hits the road, rubber hits the road, is how do they manage that emotion? Are they saying, I won't go? Are they being a complete pill and miserable to be around? That's a problem. Are they verbalizing it and saying, I'm feeling really anxious? And you're saying, yep, of course you are. That makes sense. What's your biggest worry? If it comes to be, how would you handle it, right? If you're having those conversations, that's as good as it gets. Like that's the adaptive management of that emotion. Um, That's what we're shooting for. We're not shooting for bliss. We're not even shooting for comfort right now. We're shooting for effectively managing what they are feeling. And what I would say to parents, as you think about where we're headed and how nerve wracking this has all been The most important thing to know about anxiety, especially at this juncture, is that avoidance feeds anxiety. That when we are scared and we decide to avoid something, the immediate effect is relief. The long-term effect is that it actually makes us more frightened of that thing over time. So if it is safe and you feel it is appropriate for a child to go back to school and you've made that calculation, then even if they are anxious, they should be helped to go back to school. And it may be that they have to take baby steps in, they may not be able to do it all, you know, the full week, the first week. But it's very tempting to use avoidance when we're frightened. We've had mandated avoidance for 18 months. It's been the right thing medically, if it's no longer the right thing medically, and it's time to go back, then we need to help kids wade in slowly.
0: Yeah, that's so helpful. I feel like Um, supporting them through those emotions as opposed to hoping they don't have those emotions is I think one of the key things I'm hearing you say which is exactly what you said about us too so (laughs) It's it's the same it's the same thing and the same thing same advice is also true right like we said if you're feeling it it's normal and talking about it helps and then what I heard you say is if you can get to that place having those conversations with with the kiddos is really important as well and that's the kind of productive coping with that expected anxiety or stress over this next chapter.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And not all kids are talkers. And so if you feel that your child is very anxious but they're not able to express it, then you can do what we actually do in therapy which is we talk about feelings in front of kids. We'll say, you know, I know a lot of kids are feeling really anxious right now. If you were feeling that way, that would make sense to me. So the words don't have to come out of their mouth for verbalization to offer some relief.
0: Oh, that's great. I also think that I might work with some adults. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I think that you have shared a, a ton of pearls and are really a lot of wisdom and I so appreciate it. It's so fun to talk with you as a colleague and not as a roommate and you know would be talking about the crazy people next door or the freshmen we were chasing after yes. um, as freshman counselors just to be as clear freshman counselors not
1: yes but we were we were responsible for their health and safety so exactly. we had to keep a close eye on them
0: exactly I don't want to give any mis, uh, mis- imp- uh, impressions to folks listening. Um so Lisa thank you so much for joining today. I am Trish, confident- thank you for having me
1: and thank you for all you and your team have been doing. I just I I know that this pandemic has not landed equally on everyone and those of you who are providing medical care have done so much and there's no um, there's no way to express the gratitude that is warranted here.
0: Well I appreciate that and um it takes a village and it's taken a village to do all of this um i'm confident that the folks listening will learn a lot from our conversation i certainly did it was a pleasure and i'll remind everyone who's listening that if they want to listen to more episodes of thrivecast they can find them on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also find them at the uw school of medicine faculty website at faculty.udubmedicine.org. It was a pleasure talking with Lisa. I appreciate everybody who's here listening and I wish you all a great day. Thanks so much.